go. All right. Now we should be live. Um, so, yeah, everybody sees your interviews. Everybody sees, uh, you know, all your content that you put up there and uh, your boots on the ground there. And, you know, like I, I can only do most of my stuff through the Internet because I don't get to go down there very often. But, um, you know, we appreciate what you do and we appreciate all the uh, the insight and all the, you know, the great talks that you get with, uh, you know, coaching staff and with the uh, players. Thanks for the kind words and uh, back at you. I appreciate you guys uh, picking up clips. A lot of times, you know, we'll talk uh, during the night and I'll say, hey, might want to pick up a clip of so-and-so or can you grab so-and-so's great defensive play? And you guys are great about that. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So um, I guess we'll just go ahead and hop into stuff here. Uh, We've got uh, a packed episode with or with with so much stuff to talk about um you know because i want to pick your brain because you get to go to you get to go to all of the you know all of the affiliates in north carolina and you know there's so much going on there um but uh you know the uh the white Sox major league club um swept by the tigers lose two or three to the royals and tigers uh in three series Absolute train wreck. Uh, today we find out that Oscar Colas got sent back down because, you know, I, I, I you know, from what I understand, you know, some of the veterans are kind of aggravated with, uh, you know, some of the things that he's been doing. And, um, I mean, just a, a tire fire. At least you get Oscar Colas back in Charlotte for uh, for the <laughs> next week, huh? Yeah, but, uh, you know, we've got Yolke Cespedes and Jose Rodriguez who've uh, joined the team. So it's the last uh, homestand of the season, but it sounds like it could be an interesting one. Yeah, and you lose uh, you lose Davey uh, Garcia from uh, from the bullpen, which he's looked – actually, he's looked really good. And I was pretty – you know, like I was, not that I was surprised that he's looked this good because, you know, obviously some major league service time he's, he's – got some stuff but uh he was just mowing through guys down there and looked pretty stinking good um so yeah so you got some uh some nice starting pitching coming up here and you get your last looks at a couple of the guys and you want to go ahead and uh, expound on that sure um as most uh people who follow the white Sox prospects know picked up Nick Nostrini from the Dodgers at the deadline, and uh, they brought him up to Charlotte, and uh, they also promoted uh, Christian Mena. It's interesting. He's 20 years old, but he's put together a great track record, and so those two guys um, started last week, um, Tuesday night for Mena, and I think Nostrini on Wednesday. Neither start went well, unfortunately. Uh, That was a real disappointment. But um, they've got one. They've got two more starts in the season, including um, Mena tomorrow night and the Streaming Wednesday here in Charlotte. And I'll be there for for both of those. And I'm hoping that maybe it was nerves or adrenaline or something the first time out, and maybe it um, it should be much better because both are excellent pitchers. Had both have had tremendous years. Yeah. So um, it'll be it'll be fun to see those guys before the. Uh, before they trot out the rest of the crew for the rest of the homestand. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, uh, we, we talked about this last year, 
you know, towards the end of the year last year, how, you know, it was more or less like 75% bullpen starts. And it was just, oh, man, that was just a tough watch. And at least there's something something to watch for the last uh, couple of weeks here in Charlotte. So that's good. But, you uh, know, it, it, was, it was a funny thing. Um, the guys in the press box laughed at me early in the year when I said, you know, this could be a 500 ball club. We've got a lot of pitching for a change. And at the start of this um, minor league season, they really did. You know, mm-hmm. Jesse Shultons, Nate Fisher, Davis Martin, A.J. Alexi, um, a couple other guys. And, and in fact, up at, right before the All-Star break, they were just one or two games under 500. Then Sean Burke got hurt. Davis Martin got hurt. Jonathan Stever got hurt. They released Alexi. They called up Shultons. And I don't know if they've won 10 games since then. What that prompted me to do is I I just couldn't go to any more Knights games. I couldn't go to six Knights games a week. It was just too much bad baseball. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to Kannapolis and Winston. And and the timing was great because they started bringing in all the 2023 draft picks, uh, you know, Jacob Gonzalez and Harris and uh, all those guys. And it was great baseball. Um, both teams played exciting baseball. Just fascinating rosters filled with potential. Really exciting stuff. I was wondering if that's what uh, spurred that uh, that move to where you, know, you were at Charlotte every night. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm over here in Kannapolis watching these games. And then I'm going to Winston-Salem tomorrow. And I was just like... I I had to imagine that uh, just mentally draining watching, you know, those Knights games every night. You know, I live four blocks from the Knights ballpark. And so, I, you know, I go to the games early, sit behind a home plate, video, uh, you know, go to batting practice, talk to jurors, talk to some players, go to the games. About the fifth inning, it's nine to two. They're getting beat like a drum. So I would leave. I'd just go home. I couldn't take it anymore. Last week, I actually stayed to the end of a game because um, the Knights, I thought, had a chance of pulling one out against Durham. And I told the guys, so this is what uh, the end of a Knights game looks like. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. I, that's what prompted me to go to Kannapolis and Winston, and I wish I'd been doing it all year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, that you have started spreading your time around a little bit more because, you know, we get to get our eyes on uh, – you know, get to get some insight from the players themselves and from uh, from Pat, and uh, that's that's been really nice. Um, so here in Chicago, um, Chris Getz got promoted, and uh, I'm sure that you've seen the av- avalanche of just uh, ridiculous um, Twitter nonsense of uh, people complaining about it, which I mean, not that it's nonsense that they're complaining about it, but I mean, it's just, you know, they don't go outside the organization. They don't, uh, you know, no, no actual real interviews. They just fire the two guys who are uh, apparently couldn't stop bickering between themselves long enough to, uh, to, to get things done and uh, just promoted Chris gets, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on that? Um, promotion uh, you know i think i'm like a lot of people i thought given the depth of the problems that seem to be ongoing in the clubhouse and in chicago that some fresh blood might have been nice 
But, you know, I wish, like everyone else, I wish him well. Uh, I hope he gets things turned around. But he's got a big offseason ahead of him. I mean, we're going to see really soon what he's made of. I mean, he's got got to build a pitching staff, right? He's got, what, two starters coming back, maybe? Um, I don't know. And who is he going to bring up other than Nostrini? No one else is ready. Yeah. So he's got to build a pitching staff in the offseason. He's got to make decisions on what a surprise, right field, second base. He's got to, does he keep Moncada or does he find a way to move him? Does he keep Benintendi and, you know, and try and repurpose that money for pitching? Having sheets, I mean, catching, he's got a, so we're going to see what he's made of um, this offseason. Yeah, I think that fortunately, you know, with him being the one guy in there, um, the only person who can pretty much say no to him is the uh, the chairman. And um, I'm hoping that that at least makes things a little bit more easier for, you know, for him to get things done. Because um, like you said, there is just a mountain of things that he has to figure out, uh, you know, as he's trying to retool this this roster and. You know, that's one thing that the the fans have been complaining about is that the the roster construction is not exactly yeah. conducive to a you know a, a well rounded club, and uh, then you hear you know that the you know quote unquote culture in the in the locker room is also uh, not exactly uh, working out very well, and so they started by trading a bunch of guys. Then KW and Han are shown the door. Um, so now Getz is there to um, essentially, you know, try and pick up the pieces and, uh, you know, hope that he's up to the task and is, is semi-competent, you know, right, right. <laughs> in, in that role. And I guess we'll find out. Um, do you see any big changes uh, in the MLB club coming in this offseason? Well, again, it, it really de- depends on how bold Chris Getz wants to be and how much Jerry lets him be bold and daring. I mean, what if he says, look, I'm going to move Eloy for prospects or pitching? And Jerry, would he say, no, no, let's keep him? I I don't know. I I would like to think he doesn't get involved to that level. But again, uh, trying to predict the 2024 club is really difficult. There are a lot of so many question marks. And let's hope one thing he doesn't do that his predecessors did is uh, spend a lot of money on the bullpen. Yeah, when you spend when you're spending, you know, like a good forty five percent of your payroll on the bullpen. Uh, to me, you know, like when I when I saw that when, uh, before the season, I was just I, I just thought to myself, I was like, you know, it doesn't seem like that is a move conducive to getting the most amount of talent on a roster. And sure enough, it uh, did not seem to pay out. Uh, let's see here. Uh, one of uh, Officer Doofy says, uh, you have to look at Getz as a guy who knows what needs to change and can actually do it versus an outsider who has to come in and observe first. I mean, I guess you can well, look, you could look at it that way. You know, that's, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. And, you know, and I'm not, uh, one of the people that are uh, just immediately incensed that he's hired. I just, you know, I'm not saying that he couldn't be good at the job. I just would have preferred them to do a little bit more of a uh, a search, you know, to see what else was out there. 
So, you know, there, there's that. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Like, I, like I said, I, I just think we're going to see pretty quickly uh, how up to it he is because he's got in the off season, he's got a lot of decisions to make to make about the existing roster and even and a lot of decisions to make about putting 2024 team together and um, you know we'll see how bold he is and how creative he is yeah i yeah exactly i mean the thing is that i think that you're right that we're going to kind of see right off the bat what's going on because if uh you know he doesn't move on from a bunch of these guys. Not a whole lot's going to change on the on the major league, uh, you know, side of thing as far as culture goes. So I think that there needs to at least be a pseudo large shakeup in the in the roster, and we'll see what uh, see what comes of that. Um, right. So, do you think that there's going to be uh, as far as the the minor league side of things goes? Do you think that there will be big changes to the developmental system? Well, it's it, one would assume no, only because that's Chris Getz's uh, uh, responsibilities uh, up till now, right? I mean, what's been put in place, the managers who were there, um, he picked them. He picked the, the hitting coaches, the hitting coordinators, pitching coaches, pitching coordinators. So I'm assuming it's business as usual. And again, um, I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, but but again, we're going to find out soon because unlike the previous couple of years when there was just not, not much coming up through um, Birmingham and Charlotte, that's changed. There are a lot of guys on the cusp, and the question is, can his player development operation get guys to the major leagues and perform at or better than major league average ball players? Um, you know, certainly on the pitching side. On the pitching side. Um, about a half dozen guys or more in Birmingham or Charlotte, you know, especially after all these trades with Kai Bush and Nostrini and Peter, um, along with Christian Mena. And then you got guys who have just gotten up through the system, um, Mason Adams and um, uh, Cousin, Cousin. Yeah, and you Joseph got Cannon Cousin. too. Cannon. So all these guys, if, and we, we, Kicked this back and forth this afternoon um, and had a nice spirited discussion. But I maintain that if he, if the White Sox player development system is good, then some of these guys are going to be in the rotation over the next two years. And if that doesn't happen, I think that's a pretty serious indictment of Chris Getz and his player development operation. So again, we're going to see pretty soon because he's. Unlike past years, there's a lot there that um, he can work with. Yeah, so that was the, the the next couple of things on the agenda here is that, you know, is the developmental system working? And are you confident in the system churning out enough pitching to fill the major league roster? Or are they going to have to, are, are you fairly confident that they're going to have to go out and make a couple of moves here? Well, certainly they're going to have to go out and make moves for 2024. Um, you know, what does it take these days? You know, eight or nine starters to get through a season. I think the average is two. 11. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And they've got two, assuming Kopech can, Kopech can come back into form, and three when Nostrini is ready to go up. 
So, yeah, there's a lot that he's going to have to sort of patch together in 2024. But beyond that, the system has never been deeper in pitching. Um, and, you know, and I will commend whoever made those trades at the deadline. And I think we, from what we read, it was both Rick Kahn and uh, Williams. But um, Jake Eater, Kai Bush, Nostrini, they were all great additions. Corella, um, yeah. Yeah, he has been lights out. Yeah. Um, Batista, who they picked up for international money at the deadline, the system. And, and then you add on top of that all of the draft picks who are coming through the system and have come up in the last two years. Uh, and I've seen most of them in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem. And it's, it's really deep and very exciting. And I just hope these uh, they, they can develop them. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Just the just the trades alone, and and the thing is, is that it seems like all of those deals that were made at the trade deadline, it seems like, you know, from from what I've seen so far, uh, it seems like every single one of those guys is talented. You know, it's not like they picked up, you know, just some, uh, you know, some guys who are you know org guys. These guys, you know, for the most part, all of them look to have you know plus plus pitches at least. And some of them have the ability to string it all together and, and do things. I mean, obviously, you know, either, you know, between TJ and the fractured foot and, uh, Kai Bush, you know, coming back late because of the, uh, lateral oblique, whichever one it was, um, that sidelined him for a little while there, you know, there's been some, some hiccups there, but, uh, you know, that Corella trade looks really good, you know, especially for Keenan Middleton, (laughs) <laughs> like thanks for that one um and then uh aldrin batista and we haven't seen maximo acosta from that uh from that trade yet um he's just down in the uh in the ace you know in uh, arizona doing his thing but um yeah i'm interested in seeing what uh what comes of that um i say officer doofy says forget the rosters put the people in place for development so these prospects can have a winning mentality and in five years they're dominant and that's that's one thing i did kind of want to bring up um when talking about the uh the, the shakeup in milb and i'm not necessarily saying that uh that they start uh launching guys into the sun right off the bat you know my my thought was you know i've heard uh through a couple of different channels that uh with the previous uh gm and executive vice president that there were some some upgrades to developmental staff that were wanted to be put in place and uh they were blocked for one reason or another and uh kind of kind of stunted things a little bit at least in the uh you know in the analytical uh biomechanical sphere and you know that's stuff that i would like personally i would like to see get a a little bit more of a uh a focus from the from the team well you know it's right it's hard to quantify player development right i mean even if you get the drafting and the trades right how do you develop players how do you use the analytics what gets communicated from chicago to charlotte and winston and birmingham how is that implemented and there's Potential for breakdown all along the way. You know, I, um, after Christian Mena's start last week when he just got, honestly, got hammered. Yeah. The next day I went into the stands early and I, and I just went up to a scout and I introduced myself and said, were you here last night? 
He said, yeah, and I was picking his brain as to what went wrong with Christian Mena. And um, we started talking about player development. He said, you know, a lot of times it's not the people at the affiliates. It's the information coming out of, uh, in this case, Chicago, where they may say, I want you to do X, Y, Z with this player. Um, and the folks at the affiliate might think, well, well that's, not the, that's not what we would agree with. So, there, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of components that go into player development. Um, and, and we have no idea, you know, if there are breakdowns in this process and where they are. Or just have to wait and see if they can, uh, at the end of the day, turn these guys into major leaguers. Yeah, that's a that's the thing is you know like a, a lot of the time people ask me, you know, oh, what did you think of uh, of so and so starting? And you know, like you kind of almost have to throw the ca- the caveat in there for especially for the starting pitchers is that you don't know what they've been instructed specifically to work on. I mean, obviously that you know, speaking of the Christian Mena start, you know, it wasn't his goal to go out there and work on you know everything getting barreled up you know and just getting hit hard you know regardless of you know how far it went and whatever but uh you know like i don't know what pitches in particular that they want him to work on if they're saying hey you know we want you to work up on work on your change up some more you know let's see you do that and these guys pick up on it who knows you know like we just aren't privy to that kind of information and it and it uh you know, you the results are are then tainted. You know, so the results that you think that you're seeing aren't necessarily the results that you're seeing. I agree completely. Uh, you never know what they're working on if they're if they're working on something mechanically, if they're working on a new pitch. Um, that's and that's going on all the time. Um, yeah, no, no way to know. And the other thing is, quite frankly. What I wrestle with is here in Charlotte, every pitcher gets lit up. I mean, everybody gets hammered. And so for me, it's really hard to know who's pitching well. Um, But but the White Sox do because they bring guys up and they often succeed in Chicago, you know, some of the relievers. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that's... That's I mean, that is that right there is is proof that if we're watching them in Charlotte and for whatever reason, they're just getting beat all around the place and then they get brought up to Chicago and they put up respectable numbers. So clearly that says that either a they're working on something, uh, obviously the park factor in Charlotte's something to be uh you know, credited for some of that stuff as well. But uh, yeah. So speaking of Charlotte, um that's where you spent the most of your time. So I figured that's where we would start, and we just kind of work our way down to the uh, lower levels as we go through here, and we're just going to hit it all because why not? Uh, you know, I, I know that absolutely. I know that I'd like to hear what you have to say, and I know the the listeners will as well. Um, so the big question for me. And we, we've sort of touched on this already. The possible promotions to fill rotation spots for next year, because we know that, obviously, yes, if Kopech even comes back as a starter, um, that there's going to be him and Cease, uh, because uh, Clevenger's no no doubt going to opt out. He, I mean, who knows? They might sign him back or whatever. Uh, but Schultons and Toussaint both uh, signed one-year deals this year. 
Uh, so they may or may not be back, so we don't know. So we have to figure out uh, who the guys are that are going to come in and fill some of this time in the rotation. Um, so we've touched on Nestrini. We've touched on Mena. Uh, one guy that we have not touched on yet uh, who is on his way back from TJ uh, and has been doing rehab starts is Johan Dominguez. And, uh, you know, I, I like his stuff. What have you seen from uh, from Johan? I'm a big fan as well. I remember at the start of last season, he made two or three starts. And I remember talking to some guys in the press box. I said, Who is this guy? This yeah. guy is great. Yeah. He's, you know, and, and then he went down with TJ. Um, and so he's been working his way back. And, um, you know, right now I think all I care about is that he's getting innings under his belt and, and building up arm strength and, and he'll, you know, work in the off season, and then let's see what we have next spring. But I think the potential's there, um, and the the, all, the biggest thing holding him back is going to be the innings limit as he comes back from TJ. But otherwise, he, I think he can definitely help the White Sox um, at, at a certain point next season. Yeah, that was kind of my thought, and I was actually, uh, you know, I, I follow him on uh, on Instagram, you know, and I happened to catch him in. I think that was like uh, March or April, you know, where he was thrown off the mound. And uh, I was pretty shocked uh, the other day in his start. He threw something like 88 pitches, and I couldn't believe it. I was pretty yeah. shocked about that. And um, I-, I was talking to, you know, I-, I don't pretend to be this great pitching and hitting analyst. I, I-, I, li- I talk to scouts. I talk to people who know a lot more than I do. I talk, I've got a buddy of mine who works in the press box, um, and uh, I talked to him about pitching. I said, what did you think about Dominguez? And he said, he's got a killer changeup, and he'll throw it at any point in any count. He's not afraid. Um, and that's, that, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, I think that, that that's probably his most improved pitch actually because, uh, you know, I've been watching him since he was in, uh, since he was in Birmingham and uh, – think even when he was on the dash um and his curveball and his fastball were always really good and his, his changeup was was a nice compliment but the other night the one the yeah. ones that you were seeing uh where it's just fading away and uh outside to left-handed hitters and we we had talked about this on uh on twitter uh that it's just like pretty much like a, the perfect kind of complement to that curveball that's really hard, you know, goes down and away from right-handed hitters. Now he's got something for the left-handed hitters as well with that changeup, and it's 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 a n- nice pitch, and the movement's really nice. So we'll see where that uh, how that develops. Yeah, I agree. He's not uh, as, uh, as much of a household name as some of these other guys that we're going to talk about, but... Uh... I think um, uh, guys like he and Corella and a couple other guys out there that could really surprise on the upside. Um, so speaking of the earlier, you mentioned uh, Burke and Davis Martin. Um, so both yeah. of those guys, I mean, obviously Davis Martin, TJ, uh, it, Sean Burke, he's just kind of disappeared. Nobody really knows uh, what's going on with him. Is it? Is it that? Uh, was it an oblique that was bothering him earlier in the year? Um, 
it was I think it was the oblique that that bothered him uh, in spring training, and then it went to his shoulder. Does that sound right? Could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's a shame. Uh, but the day he his injury and the Davis Martin injury those were those were devastating injuries for the White Sox as well as those guys personally. I mean, uh, Davis was. The start before Davis got hurt, I, I remember it so clearly. He went six innings, shut out, 10 strikeouts. In the sixth inning, he hit 97 on his fastball. I mean, it was just all coming together for him. And he was going to, I mean, he would have been in Chicago and uh, would have worked his way up in that rotation. Maybe, you know. Yeah. Um, and and Burke, Burke, same thing. I mean, Chris Getz said it. You know, we're count. We're we're probably going to use Chris Burke in twenty twenty three in Chicago. Um, that, that's that, I, I feel sorry for those guys, and it really hurt the organization as well. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so the guys, uh, I you know, the, I sent you the sheet earlier today, and it said the young guys in MLB, and the three guys that are listed are Lenin. Corey Lee and Oscar Colas. Oscar right. Colas is on his way back to you. But uh, Lenin and Corey Lee spent some time there. Uh, how much of Corey Lee did you see? Because I know that that was in, you know, kind of in your little window there where you were kind of checked out from uh, Charlotte. So how much of that did you see? Hi, Mom. Uh, um, I did go to batting practice and uh, had a chance to meet him, talk to him. Uh, interesting guy. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess he's a defense first um, catcher. Um, not a bad thing. Um, could you know, certainly uh, capable of being a backup catcher next year. Um, and then uh, I think you mentioned Lenin. I, I like Lenin. Um, I think the White Sox have seen him enough to know whether or not they think there's a role for him. I, I'm, I'll be curious to see what that is. Yeah, and uh, I think I think we we were all surprised that they sent Oscar back. I mean, that's you, you just how that's so rare that you bring a guy up, you stick him out there, and you said, "All right, we're going to see what he can do for the rest of the season," and then you say, "All right, you know, we're going to send him back for the last two weeks of the minor league season." That was the thing that baffled me. You know, like the first time that they sent him back, I I got it. You know, right. I, and I understand why I understood why they did it, and they said why they did it. Uh, this time they're sending him back with two weeks left in the season. So I'm kind of, I don't like the only thing that, the only thing that I can see is that it's, that this is uh, the front office sending this guy a message, you know, yeah. that you need to, you know, we've told you what you need to do and you are not, you know, f listening to what we're saying. So clearly we need to do something here to, jog that noggin loose you know so so you do what we're asking you to thank you for the follow there dual heel appreciate that um <laughs> yeah you know like as far as uh as far as uh Lenin goes um you know you've seen it and you know i know i've certainly seen it a bunch of other people have seen it that you know it generally takes Lenin. you know when he gets to a level it takes him a while to uh to get comfortable and yeah you know i mean the, the batting average hasn't necessarily been there yet but you know when he came to charlotte he didn't hit there either 
when he came to Birmingham. Didn't hit there either. And every single time he gets to one of these spots, once he gets comfortable, then he starts hitting the heck out of the ball. And he's consistently, you know, uh, 300 and above and hitting for power. So I'm hoping that they allow him the headspace to get comfortable and work his way into things. But, uh, you know, again, we'll see. Uh, speaking of uh, guys that do that kind of thing, uh, another guy who just got uh, bumped up to uh, to Charlotte, uh, Jose Rodriguez. Um, he's oh. one of those guys who's known to also have that uh, that slight delay for, uh, you know, 20 games or so, and then after that, then he starts hitting. So um, are you uh, of the mind, you think he's going to spend a lot of time in Charlotte next year, or are you expecting him to uh, move on quickly? My guess is, well, I would think it would make sense for him to spend a lot of time in Charlotte, but for the most part, except for Colas and Sosa, prospects rarely do seem to spend a lot of time in Charlotte. Right, you know, a lot of the can't miss guys. Like I, I'm not anticipating seeing Colson Montgomery more than a month or two when they decide to move him up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know what their plan is for him. Um, and he's, uh, uh, you know, there's a real difference of opinion as to what his future is. Um, so, yeah, I, I would think we'd see, but my guess is I would think we'd see him for much of the season next year here in Charlotte. Yeah, that's I. I was kind of thinking that we, unless unless you know the, that major shakeup that we're talking about, you know, where Yoan's gone and uh, Tim Anderson's gone, you know, I kind of think that maybe you know Popeye's going to end up sticking there for a while. Um, so uh, other guys that are kind of on the on the verge of, of making their way up, uh, Jordan Leisure just just acquired with uh, Nick Nastrini. Um, have you mm-hmm. seen him throw at all? Several times. I've, I've watched him pitch several times, and I've talked to him. Um, you know, by my count, we've got four for sure former Dodgers. I, I'm curious if, if there are others. But, um, and I've talked to, I think, three of them now. Uh, and I always ask him about the um, Dodger mystique in terms of developing pitchers. And they all said it's true. They know what they're doing, developing pitchers. Jordan Leisure said, I wouldn't be here in AAA if it wasn't for the Dodgers. He said, I had about a mid-90s fastball, and they worked with me and helped me get it up into the upper 90s. And it's a big fastball, and he's got I, – I think he's got a really great slider from what the few three or four times I've seen him in Charlotte. And he said that uh, they're teaching him a curveball since he got to Charlotte. And uh, – uh, I talked to uh, Donnie Veal, um, the pitching coach in Charlotte, last week, and he said, yeah, it's coming along fine. He got a strikeout in a game recently using his curveball. So did see that, yeah. Uh, I, I think I could easily see him making Chicago out of spring training next year. Yeah, I would. I'd, I'd, I'd be shocked if he didn't. Yeah, I kind of would be as well. I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, – that he hasn't gotten brought up yet just simply because of what we've seen from the pitching staff. But then again, you know, with the way that that whole clubhouse and everything's just been this year, I wouldn't be surprised if they want to try and keep some people <laughs> away from that, uh, from that toxicity up there. Um, that's an interesting, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but you're probably right. I mean, it's been kind of ugly. And, 
I don't know. It's not. Uh, yeah, oh, it's awful. I mean, it's just been just awful to watch. Um, so uh, Carlos Perez, he's also there. Uh, in tra- oh, actually, he got just got brought back up. Yes. So, uh, which makes me happy. The only thing that I'm kind of upset about uh, is that Yasmani Grandal's still there, and you know, I supported him for a really long time. Um, but it, like this year, it's just, it, it's fairly evident that he's just, uh, either, you know, hurt or just not performing one or the other. And either way with his contract being up, like, you know, we know that we're, that, that, that the team's in terrible standing. <laughs> so I don't understand why he's still here and eating up, you know, at bats that, Carlos Perez and and Corey Lee could be getting all of those at bats. Like I, my personal opinion, we should have moved on and just had those two guys just take all those at bats. But uh, your your thoughts on uh, on Carlos Perez? Um, I I personally like Carlos. I thought that his twenty twenty two season was phenomenal. Uh, he, I think. For, I don't know how this how he ended the season, but for most of the season, for about 80-90% of the season, he was the toughest guy to strike out in the International League. Great bat-to-ball skills. Um, and, you know, the White Sox kept saying his defensive skills were improving. Mm. Um, this year, I, I, my guess is after he didn't get he didn't sniff the major leagues after having such a great season last year that this year had to be really tough to come back to Charlotte and start all over again. Um, and he, you know, he had an okay season. Um, I'm curious what the White Sox think about him. And if, you know, I would like to think that he and Corey Lee will both be in spring training. I'm guessing they'll bring in a veteran catcher, you know, a Jan Gomes kind of guy, Sandy Leon, you know, somebody yeah. On a one-year deal, just to have a veteran catcher, and then let Carlos or um, Corey Lee be the backup, or perhaps they get bold and say, you know, let's go with both of them. Yeah, I mean, that's what I. I mean, personally, that's what I'd prefer because at this point, you know, I don't think there's really, a, you know, I, you know, I know that Rick Hahn before he stepped out the door, he had mentioned. Uh, trying to compete in 2024 and everybody pretty much uh, saw right through that. So, um, and Chris Getz has apparently stopped uh, mentioning it so much in, uh, in his uh, interviews and whatever, because I think he knows what's, what's on the horizon here. So I'm hoping that they just kind of say, let's let these guys play. Let's see what we have. And I agree. And I was going to ask you about that. What, what role the, the situation of Carlos Perez, you know, he hit the crap out of the ball last year. And then this year he's stuck in AAA again. And, you know, you know, God bless Sebi, Sebi, but, uh, you know, Carlos Perez, much better bat. I don't feel that his defense was, you know, I mean, Sebi had, you know, was, was good defensively, but I mean, at some point when you're hitting, you know, 170, I don't, you know, I don't care anymore that your that your defense is good. And then when the guy who's in front of him is hitting two twenty three, you know, like let's just move along here, especially as we're out of the race in May. So, right. Right. um, so uh, Adam Hackenberg, 
Um, I got I got, yeah. a, I got a list of guys here. So uh, Adam Hackenberg, uh, Xavier Fernandez, uh, Yolbert Sanchez, uh, and you know I mean there there are a, a a list of others that I will go here that are Rule Five eligible. But uh, Xavier Fernandez and Yolbert are both Rule Five eligible this year. Um, right. Do you see any? Uh, I mean, personally, I doubt that any of them get protected. Um, but uh, do you see any of those guys having a role? Maybe Xavier Fernandez as a as a DH type player. Well, except for the fact that he's a Rule Five eligible guy, um, he really has had a, a, a under the radar really nice season, and he's actually been the hottest Knights hitter in the last month. Mm. Um, but being Rule Five eligible, it's it's hard to see. Uh, that makes any sense. Um, I think, you know, Yolbert was um, a nice, an interesting guy, but uh, you'll have to cut bait with him. Um, Laz Rivera, he had an interesting game this week. I don't know if you saw. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he ran out of pitchers, so he pitched the last inning, had a shutout inning, and then he knocked in the winning run in the bottom half of the inning. So, you know, it's been a tough. It's been a tough year for Laz just getting on the field. He gets uh, parked on the development list a lot, and other guys play ahead of him. Um, so, yeah, he'll be gone. I, I wish him well. Nice guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, you know, like the thing is, is that yeah, he's Rule Five eligible, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys come back. But I mean, like the thing, I, I always liked Laz Rivera. You know, from when he was with the Intimidators uh, up until. He was with the Knights, you know, it's, he was never really a, a flashy guy, but you could put him in a bunch of different positions and he would go out there and perform pretty well, you know, and he's, he's, uh, you know, I mean, he's, his bats never really been huge, but, uh, you know, he can hit, you know, at least, at least somewhat satisfactorily. So I'll tell you about Laz is, I mean, this guy is an all-star in batting practice. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I hear this loud pop and I look over there and it's Laz in the in the batting cage. I mean, he makes really hard, solid contact, but yeah, clearly hasn't gotten on the field. That's too bad. Hey, um gonna ask him, what do you think um is the future, if any, for Zach Remillard with the team? You know, and that, like that—that's actually funny you mentioned that because, like, I kind of pair him and uh, Laz Rivera kind of in the same, uh, kind of almost in the same mold. Is that they're guys that you can put in, uh, you know, like they're like the great utility guys. You know, like you can put them in positions, and they're going to do what you what you ask them to do um, to 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 their ability. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you're not going to mm-hmm. get like a Nolan Arenado at third base, but they can play there. You know, and yep. they can play decent ball there, and they can go out and hit. Um, I, I was really happy for Zach when he got brought up, and I, you know the the fact that he got uh, that he got sent down. I was I was pretty bummed for him because with the White Sox, he did everything that they asked him to do, and he did a a, a pretty a, a pretty acceptable job, in my opinion. Uh, doing everything that he was asked to do. I mean, maybe bunted a little bit much. You know, I can I can say that. But uh, you know, as, as far as a utility guy goes, like I don't think you know, there's not many 
You know, uh, the, the White Sox have been good at, at, at a couple of things. Uh, relievers and utility guys. You know, you got Danny Mendick, uh, <laughs> Zach Remillard, uh, Laz Rivera is yeah. a good one. I mean, they've, they've had a bunch of uh, good utility guys. And uh, he can be useful to somebody. I mean, it might not be the White Sox, but he could definitely go somewhere and play a, a valuable role for another team. For I'm 100% certain of that. So... One of the things I like about there's a lot I like about Zach. Um, it, I mean, that's a, an amazing story. You know, his first year he didn't hit 200 in Charlotte. Yeah. And uh, I, and the next year he's you know up in the 280s, 290s. So uh, it, it's an amazing story. Um, one of the things I like about him is that he is one of the highest baseball IQ guys I've ever known. And um, it seems to me, I'm curious what you think, it, you know, the, the White Sox don't play like a fundamentally sound, high baseball IQ brand of baseball. I agree. You know, fun, the base running errors, they don't move runners. Um, just and Zach, you can count on him for that. 100%. He might not get it done, but he knows what he should be doing. Yep, that's that's exactly the thing is that, you know, He's not necessarily going to be able to, you know, be perfect all the time. But what his uh, his his focus is will always be team based, and it will be always to do the right fundamental baseball thing in order to achieve whatever result it is that he's trying to that the team is trying to move towards. You know, and you know this has been one thing you know on 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 our stream that we've talked about a lot is that. Recently, with the the picking up of these guys from Ole Miss and uh, guys like Zach Remillard, is that these guys are used to winning, and they're yeah. used to doing team uh, valued team practice. You know where they hit the opposite way, where they move runners over, where they know what it takes to win a baseball game. And that's something that seriously seems to be lacking with the White Sox Major League Club is that there's a lot of uh, a lot of stat guys, you know, that are trying to pad their stats or worried about hitting home runs or what, you know, like what they're going to do instead of doing the simple things, you know, just trying to go opposite way and get a single to move everybody around, you know. So, and and um, I'm sure you agree with me. That's a key component of player development, right? That. That needs to be emphasized in the minor leagues. You gotta, you need. I think these teams need to play to win and do the little. Teach their players how to do the little things to win. And for my last game in Winston Salem, maybe two weeks ago, I was just shooting the breeze off the record with Guillermo um, Quiros, the the manager there, and I said, "I love how your team does the little things right, and you've got a high IQ team." And he and I said and it's the same way in Kannapolis. And he said it's no accident. He said that in spring training, they put he and Pat Leland together to work with the same group of minor league players. Mm. And he and Pat talked about we you know we need to teach these guys we need to play to win and teach them how to do the little things that win ball games. And I think that's great. Yeah, I'm on board with that 100. percent uh, so the, uh, just to drop these names in there, uh, rule five guys, uh, we talked about, uh, Xavier Fernandez and Yolbert Sanchez, but, uh, Lazarus Vera, uh, Chase Seleski, uh, Garrett Davila, 
uh, Caleb Freeman, uh, Andrew Perez, Alex Mateo, and J.B. Olson. Uh, J.B. Olson's been kind of MIA for most of the year with an injury, but, uh, but yeah, those are your Rule Five guys. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll spend some time in uh, in Birmingham here, just because there's so many interesting stinking names in Birmingham. Uh, you don't go there, I don't go there, but we watch a lot of it, and everybody knows the names. So, uh, can't talk about Birmingham. Can't talk about uh, prospects without talking about the White Sox number one prospect, Colson Montgomery. Um, injury lost a bunch of the year. Uh, started out in Winston Salem, hit something like six hundred, yes. <laughs> and then uh, got bumped up to Birmingham. And the batting average hasn't gone uh, as as hoped, but the uh, the on base percentage is uh, four hundred. You know, roughly right around 400. Um, anything that oh, you've well. seen, you you, don't, you like him? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I will say this. If people want to know more about the Birmingham team, uh, one of my future Sox colleagues, Elijah Evans, just spent a week down there. He interviewed all these guys. And he He's on top of it. If you want to, want to follow Birmingham, check out his work. Um, but... I will say, yeah, Colson seems like a beautiful swing. Um, he's he's got he's got the intangibles. I remember meeting him before his first game in Kannapolis. I met he and West Cath, and I thought, well, you know, they're both really nice guys. West Cath reminds me of uh, a guy just out of high school. There was a certain confidence and swagger with uh, Colson. I thought, man, this guy knows he's a major league player in waiting, and uh, yeah, and he's done nothing to dissuade anybody from it. Yeah, agreed. I was also at that game actually uh, at the uh, the home opener last. Uh, what was that? Two last year? It was, it was last year. Last year? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh yeah, we were both there. <laughs> um and I okay. think uh we got uh we got treated to uh just a Colson Montgomery walk and that was it out of the both of them. But uh yeah. Um uh Edgar Caro, the number 3 prospect for the White Sox who uh was ac- acquired with Kai Bush for uh Giolito and uh Reynaldo Lopez. Uh fatigued he's caught uh more games than he's ever caught in his entire life this season so um they've got him taking some time off and unfortunately you know like uh, Ivan Gonzalez and uh Sebastian Rivero have been catching a lot in uh in Birmingham so we haven't seen him catch a whole lot um but uh do you see any you see any of the stuff that he was doing when he was out there I mean he hasn't been in North Carolina yet for anything but uh do you see any of the stuff that was going on there I don't have any great insights on him, but uh, he seems to be—he seems to be doing just great in Birmingham um, at the plate. And uh, I remember when we first acquired him, I talked to a buddy of mine who's a big prospect guy, and he said, "You know, I think I'm a little more down on him than a lot of people." And so I thought, "Well, let's see exactly what he does." But he's been great. He's—he's he's done nothing to make me think that he isn't the number one catcher in uh, 2025. Yeah, that's kind of kind of where I'm at. Uh, kind of think that that's probably going to be the way things go. Is that uh, you know, assuming that he continues to develop and everything, that that's where he's going to end up. Um, what a heck of a trade! Oh, I, I, you know, as soon as that trade was made, I immediately tweeted out, 
this is a massive overpay and is a terrible, <laughs> tw- terrible trade by the Angels. I was like, this is d- super dumb. And yeah. I knew that they weren't going to make a run in the West. I just knew, you know? And sure enough, then uh, they go on this losing streak and Giolito goes out and throws a couple of stinkers and then they're 10 games out and then they put them on waivers and now both guys are in are in Cleveland. So they literally got nothing out of it whatsoever except for they dealt their top prospect, you know, two of their top prospects. I was just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um <laughs> moving along. Uh <laughs> Wilfred Varis, uh have you seen him uh live at all cuz he he was in uh Never. you have not. Ah. Uh large man with a ridiculous amounts of torque and power in his swing and uh led uh he was i th- i believe he was leading the uh the southern atlantic league in doubles when he left um and i think that he's if i i looked earlier today i think he's still like eighth in hits in the southern atlantic league and he's been gone for a month <laughs> it's funny how these guys leave these other leagues and like Tim Elko and still lead them in uh, certain categories. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. You know, I, the thing about Wilfred Varis uh, that uh, the only thing that concerns me about him is the bat's going to play, and it looks like it's going to play no matter where you know, matter where he ends up, the bat is going to play. Uh, I think it's just going to be a uh, a question of where the where the the glove fits. You know, as far yeah, as you see him goes. ending up. I mean. They're they're playing him in the outfield now, and his and his arm is underrated. Uh, he does have a he does have a nice arm, and he's had quite a few, he had quite a few assists in uh, in Winston Salem. Um, the only thing is, I just don't know how willing the White Sox are going to be to have another. Not that you know, I'm not going to go go that that low and say that another Eloy in the outfield, but. Um, you know, I'll I'll say that just for you know a, a a small comparison there is that you know I don't know if they're going to want a guy that isn't a you know fluent as an outfielder, if you will. You know, so that that's my only question. Think he's, do you think he's like a league league average defender or not even that? Um, I think that he needs. See, the thing was is they started off as like a third baseman. So he's he's not really an outfielder. So the thing is, is that he's going to be one of those works in progress that, uh, you know, he's going to have to learn how to play the outfield and uh, well enough to, you know, for his routes to be acceptable as a league average, you know, major league outfielder. And uh, I mean, you know, maybe you're looking at a, I don't know, Jordan Alvarez type thing, you know, where it's you don't really expect a whole lot out of it, but, uh, you know, he'll go out and hit you 35, 40 home runs possibly, or, you know, I mean, his profile so far has been more along the lines of he'll hit you 50 doubles and 20 home runs to this point, but uh, he's really could you see? Could you see Varus being the reason that they move Eloy? <sighs> I mean, I could see it being the reason, but the thing is, I don't know if he's. I mean, it's not like Eloy had the best year. No, he did not, and he's always hurt. You know, I mean, that's been the that's been the bag on him for and where, years. And where are you going to play him? And you know, he's he's a DH. 
Yeah. And, you know, instead of paying somebody $17 million to be a DH, you know, you could pay somebody 750000 to be a DH. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the, the bat's not as polished as Eloy's. But then again, his results haven't really been all that great this year either, you know. So, um, you know, and also obviously the uh, the bloodlines for Wilfred Varus, you know, it, uh, it's got some pretty decent bloodlines with uh, you know Tatis being you know in the uh, in the family genes. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's entirely possible that uh, he might have a, a really nice career. It's just I don't know where defensively he's going to end up. I mean, it's entirely possible that he could end up as a as a first baseman, it's entirely possible he could be a left fielder, but uh, or just a DH. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, right. Speaking of uh, first baseman slash DH, Tim Elko, <laughs> who we just yeah. uh, speaking of, who uh, the Carolina League just ended uh, yesterday, and uh, he was tied for first in home runs. I think somebody tied him on the last day of the season. Uh, and he hasn't first. been there in at least what two months. Hasn't been there since June twenty fifth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I watched him in Kannapolis, I mean, it was clearly man among boys. It's like, oh, come on, let's let's move him already. This is nuts. And so he goes to Winston and he hits great there. A lot of power. So now he's in uh, in Birmingham and doing well. Uh, you know, this is a guy that you know you keep waiting for him to move up to a level where he start, you know, some of the shine comes off, but yeah. not yet. Well, I think that in, in double A, you know, and, and this is, this is another thing. And I don't know it's as it, as it's necessarily him being at Birmingham. That is the reason because he's been, uh, he's been having a tough, at least last week uh, was, was tough for him. Uh, um, I think actually the last two weeks we played the uh, maybe it was last week. Yeah, I think it's been two weeks. He's he's been having like uh, you know the numbers haven't been as as crazy as as they had been because you know he was hitting you know three thirty and um, had like a OPS above a thousand for for a while in Double A. So I don't think it's that you know he can't hit. Uh, he has been chasing. So it, it does look like he's been pushing, but. Um, I kind of personally, when I, when I when I watch his at bats, I kind of look at him and I go, "This guy looks like he's gassed," you know, because because of the long year. And that's just what it looks yeah. like to me. And you know, he he might you know hop in the chat and say, "That's not at all what's going on," um, but you know, that's what it looks like to me. And I don't necessarily think that uh, it's that he can't handle the double A pitching. I don't think that it's, uh, you know, he 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 ran into that slump in uh, in Kannapolis as well when everybody was, you know, complaining that he was still in Kannapolis. He went on like a, he hit like one home run over in May, you know. So he slowed down, and then once June kicked over, then he started hitting again, and then he got promoted. Right. You know, it's like they let him work through his stuff, and then promoted him. And you know, when he went to Winston Salem, hitting the ball all over the place. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. Can you, can you see uh, him in Chicago? I can. Um, it's, you know, like we were talking about that winning thing. Uh, I don't know if you saw the. Uh, there was a an at bat that he had um, last week, I believe, er, earlier in the week, and uh, he hit a ball into the right center gap, and it 
realistically for for him it should have probably been a single but he hustled and and dove into second base and turned it into a double and it ended up igniting a rally and uh he does things like that he's a team guy and mm-hmm. uh he's not like uh he's not one of these guys that's just going to go out there and try and hit home runs this guy drives in runs he hustles you know he plays a decent first base i could absolutely see him in chicago and again, it's just back to the problem is where are you going to play him? Where are you going to play Varus? I mean, it's like moved Berger and maybe they'll move Sheets or Eloy and alleviate this log jam, and then they've got another one right behind them. Yeah, well, I mean, you got, you got Vaughn, you know? Yeah. So uh, the the thing that's going to be here is that, uh, you know, you've got Vaughn, you've got Sheets. I think Sheets time is just about you know i think the clock's about punched on that one that he's gonna make his way elsewhere i don't really you know it's between him and uh is it Colos? like the, their two bats are hitting like 150 over the last like two weeks or something like that. It's just brutal and uh you know he hasn't uh you know the thing that that was talked about you know there was uh rick Hahn said oh we're bullish about sheets and and vaughn and Thing is, is that Sheets just hasn't, uh, you know, the production just hasn't been there. He put up, you know, some decent numbers, but uh, just hasn't been working out. And I don't see a reason to keep another first baseman around when you've got several on their way that are certainly capable of doing that. So, um, recent development of uh, Mason Adams getting sent to Birmingham. What do you got on Mason Adams? That's a great story. Talk about a guy under the radar. Um, he, he's just had a phenomenal season. I mean, I, I just think it's amazing. You, I, I guess you talk about he and Jonathan Cannon at the same time because they both started in uh, Kannapolis. Both did great. I, I tell you, it's funny with Mason Adams is he was, for most of the season, piggybacking behind Noah Schultz. And Schultz, you know, was going, you know, 25 pitches, 30 pitches, 35 pitches. And then Mason would come in and pitch like six innings and just so impressive. Continued in um, Winston-Salem, and uh, now both he and Cannon have progressed uh, up to their third level of the year in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah the uh, the piggyback situation, you know, it's like you have to go out there and you have to see no Schultz. And then once he gets taken out of the game, you're like, okay, cool. He's gone. We can relax. And then Mason Adams just comes out and pepper in the strike zone and just relentless, you know, throwing strikes and striking guys out and just, you know, not allowing these guys to, to get a hold in the box. And he's just had such a great year and he's been a lot of fun. Um, Yeah. Personal favorite of mine, you know, I've been uh, been tweeting out his his highlights all year, and just you know what a, what a great year he's had, and you know especially like Jacksonville State, and it's like you know just out of out of nowhere, you know. So kind of like the Davis Martin, you know, not not a high draft pick and just explodes. And you got to have a couple of those guys who come out of nowhere and have breakout seasons who aren't high draft picks to really uh, boost your franchise. Yeah, that was like the as far as Davis Martin goes, you know, like I've been watching him since he was with uh at least since he's with the Dash. And like I, I could see 
that the potential was there for what was for what eventually did come. Um, strike thrower, uh, really nasty curveball, and uh, and a nice changeup. And like the thing that finally put him over the top was uh, twenty before twenty twenty two. He got an extra couple of ticks on the fastball. And as soon as that happened, it was over. You know. So, um, all right. So, uh, who do you think that uh, that Matt Thompson, uh, who's I believe he's Rule Five eligible, is he Rule Five eligible this year? I could have swore that Matt Thompson is Rule Five. So. Was he drafted in the same class as Kelly and? No, he was with Dahlquist, and Dahlquist isn't Rule Five. But I could have sworn, yeah, maybe okay. not. Um, but uh, do you think uh, well, they, they would protect him because uh, he's another one on the cusp? Yeah, sure. yeah, I think so had too. A, and had a really nice year, Double A. Yeah, I think uh, that like, I could the, see him being the next guy up after Nostrini. Yeah, that's that would that would track. Um, He's a little bit older than uh, than Mena. Um, the the only thing that I've noticed with uh, Thompson is that the uh, the consistency in between um, innings in a single outing uh, sometimes kind of eludes him a little bit, and uh, you know that's kind of kind of been his uh, his his main hangup because the guy's stuff is really nasty. I saw this. Uh, I saw. I went and saw him in uh, in Winston Salem, and he threw a curveball. It bounced up, hit the catcher, bounced straight up in the air, and there was a guy on third base who was trying to score. Matthew Thompson came, caught the ball at home plate, and tagged the guy out. Amazing. Um, yeah. Heads up. Gotta love it. Yeah, very athletic uh, and nasty stuff. Um, Brian Ramos, uh, what do you think? Do you think that he probably starts next year at, at uh, Charlotte, or do you think he starts in Birmingham uh, to to get some innings in, what do you think? Well, again, um, I'm just I'm not as well versed. I'll be honest as on Birmingham as I am on Winston and Kannapolis and Charlotte. Um, but highly regarded, had a big season. Um, but again, you know, I don't know if you fast track him if Yon Moncada is not going anywhere. Yeah. So if you've got one more year, I don't. You know, do you want them to spend a full year in Charlotte, or do you want them to have a little more time in Birmingham? Yeah, that's a, that's. I'm kind of like kind of torn there. Is that you know the the one the major problem, and the reason why he's only the seventh ranked prospect is because he started off the season injured. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just don't know how much. White Sox want their top prospects to spend in Charlotte. I've had this debate actually a couple of times. How much time do do the White Sox want to? I mean, especially um, especially pitching pro- prospects. But you know, even oh, yeah. the even the hitters, their stats in Charlotte. I mean, it's like hitting on the moon. You know, they just kind of hit it's, a pop That's up exactly and, right. Yeah, I mean, Gavin Sheets. Is a, is a great example. What he hit eighteen home runs in uh, in Birmingham and had a good year, but then he comes to Charlotte and has that by the All Star break. Yeah, and like that, that's a thing, you know. I've I've talked about this numerous times. Is that you know Gavin Sheets? If you look at his game, 
from uh, Wake Forest uh, in Kannapolis and in Winston-Salem. His calling card was always bat to ball. And, you know, it it just kind of became the narrative that, you know, if he's going to be a if he's going to be the first baseman in the major leagues that he's got to hit for power. So everybody started talking about his power, this power, that because he's hitting 300 every year, you know, in every level that he goes. And then all of a sudden, everybody kind of focuses on his lack of power. And uh, then 2020 hits and, uh, you know, he's not invited goes and works on being an outfielder with uh with Larry and um all of a sudden you know he comes in he hits a little bit you know he gets a little power bump here and then uh the rest is history <laughs> yeah 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 when you add the power usually you lose the bat to ball skills yeah and that seems to be uh seems to be the thing because that was the thing that always impressed me about Gavin Sheets was that uh you know he generally hardly ever got outclassed by a pitcher, you know, right. as far as bat to ball goes. Now he wouldn't hit it necessarily to the moon, but you know, he did a single the opposite way and everything was fine. He could hit a line drive. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, guys that I've got, uh, slotted off as like uh longer shot guys. And, uh, let me know what, you, you know, obviously, these guys, we've talked about uh, quite a few of these guys already, but uh, Jonathan Cannon, Jake Eater, Kai Bush, um, those guys, I kind of figure that even if they do start in Birmingham, you know, I th- think they'll probably spend more time in Birmingham than they will in Charlotte just because, right? The, you know, I don't know if you want to necessarily leave them in Charlotte for too long so they get their brains beat in, you know, just like... I mean, I know that at some point you have to just go, this is not going to be a home run in Chicago. This is not going to be a home run in Yankee Stadium unless it's a, you know, a, the right field porch or whatever, you know, in Yankee Stadium. But I mean, um, just that, you know, there has to be that mental toughness there to say this is going to be fine if I go elsewhere, just right here. That's what happens, you know. So, but uh, I would think that those guys probably end up doing that whole thing. Um, I think that you're probably uh, in, in Charlotte because I assume that next year you're probably going to start in Charlotte and not be running away from Charlotte uh, super early uh, that you probably end up seeing uh, Frazier Ellard, uh, Gil Luna Jr., uh, Addison Coffey, and Tristan Stivers. I'm assuming that those guys are going to probably move fairly quick. Bullpen arms and really nasty stuff and Gil Luna's pickoff move is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my entire life my entire life. I think he's got 12 pickoffs this year. Wow. Wow. And uh he That'll be fun. Yeah, and he was out for uh, I think a month and a half this year. So he didn't pitch for a long stretch of time and he's got 12 pickoffs. Guys, pickoff is ridiculous. Um so here's a question, and this relates to the White Sox, and I only put him in this uh, in, in Birmingham just simply because that's where he is currently. What do the White Sox do with Garrett Crochet? Well, that's interesting. I mean, the guy wants to start, and the team needs a, needs starters desperately, and uh, he could do it next year, and they don't have that many candidates as starters next year. Why not? Why not? 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're waiting for because it's not like uh, you know they they've they've still got him going and throwing in relief in Birmingham. Right. They did it in Charlotte. Well, and so maybe you know this year they just want him to to prove he's healthy. You know, get get a few innings under his belt and stretch him out in the spring. I'm hoping because you know it's it, that's what he wants. And if 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 he feels like he his personal development is being neglected, like you don't want to lose him mentally to the entire well, organization. I think you give him every opportunity to be a starter until he proves he can't. There's just no downside, is there? I don't. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I think that they should do it, but uh, you know. I guess we'll see like what side of the fence Chris Getz was on compared to the KW right. Han situation, you know. Uh Ladder yeah. Enjoyer asks, uh, you think the shrinking MILB rosters will force more aggressive promotions, less room for org guys and roster fillers? Well, it's been interesting to see the um dramatic increase in promotions this year. I mean, I mean if and a lot of guys, a lot of teams are very comfortable promoting from double A to the major leagues. Um, and uh, so I think that's a trend that will certainly continue. Well, I mean, you see, especially, I mean, the Angels are insane uh, bringing, uh, Sh- uh, what is that, Noah Shanuel all, all the way from mm-hmm. uh, just got drafted and he's already playing in the major leagues uh had like 20 games in uh in double a he played against the uh the the barons for a week and he walked a bunch he didn't really do a whole lot other than that except for walk and then all of a sudden he's already (laughs) playing for the angels and you know they skipped uh you know uh edgar caro skipped high a goes directly from a ball to double a this year and you know they're well known for doing that kind of thing. Um, I don't know as if the White Sox will get that insane about it, but uh... well, that you know we're talking about the Angels. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move on from the Angels and talk about the rest Fair of enough. the major leagues and what they're doing. Yeah, but you know that, that being said, I mean look at the Braves. They promote from Double A all the time, including a lot of pitchers. Um, and they're not alone. A lot of teams are doing it, and a lot of teams are promoting guys. Um, and, you know, with the spate of injuries in the major leagues, I mean, there's just uh, more and more reason to, more compelling reasons than ever to keep promoting guys quickly. Yeah, I mean, it got it, there was there was a point in time, I feel like, uh, maybe two years ago, where it seemed like, you know, you know, before that, it seemed like double A was where all the prospects were. And then AAA was where all the uh, the journeymen lived, but then I felt mm-hmm. like that changed for like a period of like two or three years. But I feel like it's back to that again. Oh, big time! Yeah. I, I think, um, and I think since COVID, it, that teams just know that that twenty six players is not going to come close to getting through a hundred sixty two game season. You, and you look at the uh, what the White Sox did in Charlotte this year. I mean, there were veterans everywhere. You know, there were there were no prospects in the out. Well, I guess Colos was in the outfield, but other than that, it was it was Veras and Marisnik and Billy Hamilton and and Clint Frazier. I mean, 
all these former um, major leaguers, and and every every um, major league team was is doing it. Yeah, uh, Stevens yeah. Pascotti. Um, yeah, and now Tyler you Nakin. You go to a Knights game, and it's like, oh, look, uh, look at this, look this veteran on the other team. There's like, you know, oh, I didn't, I didn't know he was there, and you know, they're on every team and every. Every homestand, you know, it's a new cast of uh, veterans coming through town. Yep, 100%. Going to move this along here. Uh, Rule 5 guys in uh, Birmingham. You got uh, Ivan Gonzalez, catcher, who has been taking some of that uh, stuff going, uh, that Edgar Caro innings and at-bats. Moises Castillo, who I, I do like. And he had a he had a nice uh, Arizona Fall League. He's put up a decent average. The glove is great. Um, that said, I don't think anybody's going to grab him if you didn't protect him. Um, uh, Luis right. Luis Miesis, who Andy Barquette calls the Dominican Daryl Strawberry, he is Rule Five eligible, and I I kind of think that they're going to throw him on the forty man because they don't want to. They won't want to lose it. But he's he has yep. had a, a fairly disappointing year this year as far as the bat goes, um, especially after last year's breakout uh, year. But uh, and then Jeremiah Burke, the other uh, Rule Five guy there. Yep. Uh, so we'll move to uh, Winston Salem. Uh, he is back on the the IL, uh, and he's had. A, had a couple of trips to the IL this year, but uh, DJ Gladney, uh, six in the home, six in home runs in uh, the Southern Atlantic League, uh, had a pretty good year this year. Other than that, uh, at least I feel like it was a good building year for him. I don't think necessarily that the the numbers are going to be what you can expect, uh, you know, as far as like average and on base percentage. But I feel like he's had made a little bit of progress. Uh, you see him a little bit. Yeah, I did, and I spoke to him a little bit, and and I think the great thing about his season this year, it was just a nice bounce back from a dreadful year last year, um, and you know, and he's back on uh, on a decent trajectory. Yeah, that's kind of, and, and the thing is, is like they've got him playing in the outfield now, and. Uh, I've seen him make some some really nice diving catches out in the outfield. So, uh, you know, he's showing some acumen for for being a baseball player, which is nice to see um, because, you know, we've seen how the uh, first base to uh, outfield has gone in uh, Chicago, and nobody wants to see that anymore. So uh, that's been pleasant. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of uh, amazing uh, diving catches, uh, Jacob Burke – is in his yeah. second level at Winston Salem. Uh, he's, he's got a 771 OPS uh, in Winston Salem, but in Kannapolis he had a 928 uh, OPS. The power has kind of disappeared a little bit in Winston Salem. But uh, what do you think of Jacob Burke? Well, what a great story he was this year um, with a 52 game on base streak. That that was fun to follow. I, I, I went to Winston to watch his. Um, record-breaking game, and he got hit in his first at bat and set the record. And uh, I talked to him, and I, I think he's tremendous. I, I really get a kick out of his game because he plays with a chip on his shoulder. You know, he doesn't. He's not. Doesn't feel like oh, I'm that highly thought of. I'm not that high. I wasn't that highly drafted. 
but I'm going to show them. I'm going to show these guys. And he plays with like that. And uh, uh, he, he's had a phenomenal year. Um, I'm curious to see. You know, it'll be a make-or-break season in Birmingham. I'm curious to see how he holds up there. But uh, he's been a fun guy to watch, and so far, so good. Yeah, he definitely plays like his hair is on fire. But thank God his hair is not on fire because it is it is uh, magical. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. so he, yeah, he does. But, uh, now that Bryce Willits is there, they have, uh, they have dueling, uh, flowing blonde manes and they're both, uh, equally wondrous. Um, so, uh, here's a guy that I have been on all year long and trying to get people to talk about Michael Turner, unsung, yep. unsung hero for the dash. Very good defensively. Has a nice caught stealing percentage, plays a nice catcher's brick wall back there. Not too much gets past him. Southern Atlantic League batting champion, OBP champion, sixth in walks, and third in doubles. Got anything to say about him? Yeah, uh, great, great season. I talked to his manager, Guillermo. He loves him, just sings his praises. Says the defense is getting better, his footwork's getting better, he's got a nice arm, and uh, tremendous at the plate. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden we've gone from no catchers of note in, to all these people saying, well, Harrow and Hackenberg and this guy and that guy are the catchers of the future. But, man, you've got to include Michael Turner in that conversation. He's been phenomenal this year. That's that's been my thought all year, and you know, I I was expecting for him to end up in Double A, but then they traded Gio and Lopez to Cal yeah. to to the uh, to the Angels, and Carroll comes back, and I was like, well, that's inconvenient, and uh, he just kept plugging along though, and still kept on doing what he's been doing, and just kept putting up numbers. That's interesting. What do you think they do um, in uh, the start of 2024 in terms of where they put Turner and where they put Caro and they Caro in Charlotte so that Turner can go to Birmingham? I don't think so, actually. I kind of uh, think that I kind of think that if they were going to move those guys, I would think that Turner would go to Charlotte and that Caro would stay stay put in Double A because of age. Uh, Number one, uh, and number two, I think that Caro has defensive work that he needs to do. He's he's pretty good, you know. But if I was to if I was to put him and Turner next to each other, I would be more comfortable with Turner behind the plate defensively, and he's put up great numbers as well offensively. And um, you know, I mean, let's. Let's be honest here, you know, as as far as far as like the initial investment goes, they have more invested into Caro that they should be worried more about his development as opposed to when you see Turner and he's more of a, you know, polished polished player, you know, like the thing that 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 lacks in Turner's game I think is the the home run power which which Carroll has a, a little bit more of 
Now, I don't see Carroll being like a 30 home run guy, probably, you know, more along the lines of like 15 to 20 is, is my guess. Um, but I would not be surprised to see Turner get bumped to triple a just so he continues to get plate appearances. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. See, here's the thing is that you're going to have to figure out like what your what your thinking is with, uh, with Hackenberg. And Calvin Harris. I mean, you got another guy coming up right behind these guys. Yeah, see, that's, I think Calvin Harris goes to goes to advanced day. Yeah, I think he's the catcher in Winston next year. Yeah, that would be my exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, like I like him as well, and he's you know the the bat's good as well for him as well. You know, it's a, you know, I I I'd say uh, you know like I I feel like Turner's uh, defense is a little bit um, the, the arms a little bit better than uh, than Harris, but. That's not a knock on Harris. It's just that Turner's arm is really good, and his defense has been pretty stinking spectacular all year long. And he's handled that pitching staff in Winston, and there's been pretty good results in Winston Salem from the pitching. You know, um, let's. And by uh, the way, Harris is yet another one of those guys from the winning from a winning program, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Get that. Uh, get your Elko, your uh, Jacob Gonzalez, your. Calvin Harris. Uh, Hi, Mom. Hey, thanks for the follow there, uh, adorable Disrupo, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, Lloydell Chappay, um, for yep. his first year stateside, um, I want to say that he's like uh, 12th or 13th or something like that in hits in the Southern Atlantic League. And I've had some people say, oh, well, he's a disappointment. And my thinking on this is that this is his first year stateside. He's transitioning. Yeah, he skipped Kannapolis, and he's transitioning from second, you know, from from the outfield to second base. And you're still getting pretty good production. I, I've seen him at second base. He's made some great plays at second base. He's really finishing the season strong. You know, he kind of struggled there in the middle as he got got adjusted to. IA, but finishing strong and and uh, he, he looks deserving of an aggressive assignment. Yeah, I think that I, I remember I talked to Andy Barquette, who's the White Sox hitting coordinator, uh, when right when these guys when Chappelle and Ryan Burroughs and all these guys were still in the Dominican, and, and he said this is the best cr- class of players he's ever seen come, you know, as a class. Um, come up he, he's just really high on all these guys yeah i'm still Hernandez. i mean you're obviously you're still waiting on burrows uh he's on the dev list in in kannapolis uh with uh ronnie hernandez and uh george wolkow um so you're still waiting to see them and i, I know that there's uh carlos jimenez uh left-handed first baseman uh who's mm-hmm. got a really nice swing as well who i who i want to get eyes on at some point but uh you know that didn't happen this year um but uh Probably next year. Um, Connor McCullough, another one of these guys that started in in Kannapolis and threw a no-hitter in Kannapolis. Uh, granted, seven innings, but still a no-hitter. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, you know, he goes to Winston-Salem, and he's pitching well there as well. See another one of these, uh, the, you know, these guys that people weren't expecting to do things and 
moving up. I mean, kind of looks that way. Kind of like another Mason Adams, you know, coming out of nowhere and, and really uh, looking deserving of um, staying in the rotation and moving up the chain. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I mean, there's, and the thing is, we'll talk about him when we get to Kannapolis here in a minute, but there's still a couple of guys that oh also have that, that same distinction as being guys that you were expecting, you know, like to be competent, you know, uh, and give you some, mm-hmm. some A ball numbers, but that staff in Kannapolis was nasty for the first half of the season. Um, so this year, was supposed to be the coming out party for Norhe Vera. Yeah. Last hmm. year. Yeah, yeah. Got the prettiest mechanics of any White Sox minor league minor league pitcher I've seen. It's beautiful. But can't stay healthy. Yeah, and his uh he made the uh the last start for the dash this year and he went uh I think he went a third of an inning and had five walks and five runs ish. Right, right, right. Yeah, not not so good. Um, is that the game that uh, Schweitzer came in and had like three nice innings behind him? And yeah, yep. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So I mean, it's th- this year's just been. Uh, uh, I don't. Uh, he's not. I don't. Is he even rated at this point? Is he in the top thirty anymore? I think he might have pitched himself out of that. I can't imagine. I don't. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, one of those guys that everybody was so pumped on and thought was going to be uh, one of those like uh, franchise-making international free agent signings, and it just has not uh, has not formulated it to to this point. Um, so later promotion guys uh, this year uh, that played like roughly about a month or so in uh, Winston Salem, uh, Brooks Baldwin. Bryce Willits and Mario Camaletti. Um, yeah. Seen some really nice things. Uh, Camaletti, uh, OBP champion in uh, the Carolina League. Uh, second in batting average and like, uh, was it uh, third in OPS or something like that? Also had a really nice year. Just uh, two, two walks shy of 100 for the year. Great, great year for, for Camaletti. Um are you surprised that uh, these guys got uh, bumped and that they're doing as well as they're doing in uh, Winston-Salem? I think it's 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 exciting to see. It's great that they got rewarded for all having really solid years in low A. And my gosh, look what Baldwin has done in Winston. <laughs> it's just uh, red hot. Uh, great way to finish up the season, and uh, it'll be fun to watch them. I guess they'll all start in Winston next year, and we'll see what they can do. But uh, all very deserving of their promotions. All had phenomenal years in Canapolis. Yeah, uh, add, a lot, uh, add a lot of depth to the White Sox on the non-pitching side. Yeah, uh, Bryce Willits was the uh, the May Carolina Player of the Month. Uh, he was out of his mind in May when uh, Elko, Elko was April. And then he went into a little, uh, you know, like a still, still, you know, kept the batting average up and whatever in May, but didn't hit as many home runs. But in May, Bryce Willits came to Kannapolis and he went insane and uh, hit all over the place. And, um, you know, I, I saw a funny tweet uh, from Josh Norris talking about uh, Brooks Baldwin getting promoted up to Winston Salem. And he said, uh, 
that he was a uh, a first baseman, you know, utility guy that could, uh, you know, maybe play a little bit of other stuff as well. And here's here's Brooks Baldwin starting shortstop for the Dash as as the <laughs> the first baseman utility guy, and he's making great plays at shortstop, and he gets bumped into the White Sox uh, MLB pipeline top thirty at uh, number thirty. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, great great year. Uh, and he got better when he got bumped up, which is, you know, something. Camaletti, that... a solid second baseman. Yep. yep, yep. And crazy OBP. All of them did. Uh, you know, all of them were doing. Again, we talk about the little things in Winston Salem. All three of them were the team guys. You know, when yep. you need something done, they went out and did the team thing, and uh, beautiful to see. All right, so. We'll move to the last one, um, Kannapolis. Uh, obviously, the, what's left in Kannapolis is a shell of what was there when the season opened. And what is still the biggest remaining plus after all those promotions of the guys who have been there consistently is the, uh, is the pitching. And um, you spent quite a bit of time in Kannapolis. Uh you got Noah Schultz, number two. You, I know, I know you at least went and saw him two or three of those starts. What did you see oh. from Noah Schultz in person? Wow, uh, really impressive. Just a wipeout slider. I mean, from day one, it was a beautiful pitch, and it was consistent. Uh, big fastball, um, mid nineties. He told me he had four pitches. Um, he didn't really throw the changeup a lot, but um, and the first time he threw it, I, I knew he threw it because I saw the arm slot change, which is mm. not a good thing. That's not good, yeah. Um, but then when I saw um, a, a start a couple starts later, it was the same release point, uh, so he really worked on it. And so, um, yeah, coming along looks great. No, it's a little worrisome that uh, he was on such a limited pitch count and he got hardly any innings in this year, but um, hopefully that'll change next year in a big way. Yeah, from what I understand, uh, with the shoulder impingement, he took about a week off and then he was back to throwing, but they didn't want to ramp him up again because the season was almost over. So he's been throwing and it wasn't anything serious. It just, he took a week off to get rid of that soreness, I guess is right. at least what I've heard. Um, but yeah, so impressive. And, you know, the numbers that he put up just working in the, the, that small window of his pitch counts, mm-hmm. you know, talk about, talk about maximizing 35 pitches. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you're going th- consistently going for three plus, you know, you could go for three plus innings on 35 pitches. Insane. So, one bad start all year long. Otherwise, I would imagine what just half dozen or less hits. I mean, it was that dominating of a performance. Yeah, and when you say bad, I mean comparatively to some of the other starts that we've seen. Like, not even close, you know? Not even not close. Not Charlotte Knight's bad. I'm just saying, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wasn't going there, but... <laughs> sorry, sorry, 
Right. Uh, rough, year, rough year. I'm still. Oh man, yeah, that's. Uh, I I feel for you that you had to go there and watch that uh, in the second half there. Um, I haven't looked at the standings, but yeah, I think it was like last I looked, I think they had won like six or seven games in the second half. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, also at, uh, Kannapolis, uh, successful returns. Uh, do you think that they were successful returns from TJ for Peyton Paulette and Tanner McDougal? Did you see enough? Well, again, um, you know, when they're, when guys are first back from TJ they're you just want them to see, you want to see them be healthy get the velo back, and get the innings in. And I think they checked all those boxes. Um, you know, just a, a general comment about watching the Kannapolis pitching staff this year. It was a lot of fun. You know, they didn't always dominate. They weren't leading in a lot of statistics, but they pounded the strike zone. And they they were not, you know, trying to, you know, get by and walk and all these walks and ugly baseball. They pounded the strike zone. And I commend them for that. It was fun to watch and uh, a lot of impressive results. Yeah. But to answer your question, yeah, I think Paulette um, and uh, let's see, McDougal and yeah. Or was it McDougal or? Yeah, Burnley? yeah. Yeah, yeah. McDougal yeah. and uh, Peyton Paulette. Yep. I think yeah, they had great years. Uh, I think it was you know, definitely successful. Um, and they, they got a lot of innings in, they, you know. And, uh, you know, and I talked to Peyton about that. He's, you know, he said, yeah, he said, I feel better than ever. He said, I'm having trouble finding a consistent release point again. Mm. But, you know, again, that's just part of the process of coming back from TJ. Yeah. And I mean, the the fact that, uh, that Tanner McDougal got 21 starts in this year, I feel like was a, a pretty huge step for him. Uh, coming back from TJ, that he was able to get those 21 starts in. And, you know, it didn't always go as planned, obviously. Um, but, you know, I, did you see the, the his last start? For, I did not. Four no-hit innings. Uh, shut out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, f- phenomenal. You know, looked great. Uh, command was really good. And uh, I think he did it all on, like, uh, 45 pitches or something. Looked f- fabulous out there. That was the there. great was the great thing about Kannapolis, especially when Tyler Schweitzer and Jonathan Cannon were there. Every week, you were going to see a couple of really well-pitched games because what a great rotation. Schweitzer, Cannon, McDougal, Murphy, Schultz, Batista, Paulette. Some, a couple of those guys were going to shine every week. Yeah, and you, I, the, that was the tough thing for for Kannapolis is you also had Drew McDaniel who had like the first half of the season until he got beamed in the back of the head by his catcher on a throw mm-hmm. to second base. Before that, he looked phenomenal. Um, I uh, forgot Mason Adams. Yeah, Mason Adams, Shane Murphy. Um, I mean, just so much starting pitching. That you could piggyback those guys one, you know, one off of the other. I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much pitching there, and and every single one of them, you know, I mean, Shane Murphy, the guy throws like eighty five percent strikes for crying out loud, you know, and yeah. undrafted, ridiculous, Easy. yeah. And so, so what do they do? They move Schweitzer and Adams and Cannon up. And here comes Seth Keener and, you know, next year, Grant Taylor. Uh, Lucas you know, Gordon. Two of their top draft picks, big, big arms. 
Um, it, it keeps on going. So kudos to the White Sox, absolutely, for drafting these guys. And now let's just see if they can develop them. Yeah. Uh, that, and then Juan Corello Cor- is oh. there also, who they traded for. Who's? I'm sorry, he was in Winston. Yeah, he's in Winston, but still. Uh, Tista's there. Yeah. Uh, Aldrin Batista, yeah. Which his his last outing was meh, but you know, I mean, <laughs> they can't all be all be great starts, especially in a ball. Minor, le- minor leagues, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, Seth Keener made the last start for the uh, for the Ballers, and uh, I think he threw one hit, uh, three three innings, maybe three and a third or something three, like that. Three or four shutout innings, yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, and uh, Lucas Gordon uh, also looked awesome, and um, yeah, I mean, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Grant Taylor as well. I mean, there's there's just so much, so much pitching depth, and you know, when we talked about you know, was the development going to uh, you know, that's the question. That's the million dollar question. That's the million dollar question is when they get these guys to the big leagues. You know, a lot of them are going to get hurt. We sure saw that this year. But uh, there's, there's enough quantity that, that uh, let's get them to see if they can get them to the big leagues. Um, so uh, Jacob Gonzalez, first round draft pick, uh, fourth prospect yeah. in the system. Uh, what did you think of uh, what you saw from him so far uh, this this season? Or, you know, for the remainder of the, the, the rest of the, like the month, of the last month of the season or whatever it was. <laughs> well, I think a lot of a lot of people thought his season was kind of underwhelming. He didn't really do much at the plate. Um, I thought he was really solid defensively, and I thought he got better as the season went on defensively. Um, he's got a nice arm. Uh, but, you know, I just totally discount um, the 30 or so games that he that he played, if that many. You know, let's let's see where he's at like a month into next season. I mean, he's he's got a, a big pedigree, really highly regarded. People were shocked that he he uh, slipped down to fifteen. So you know, I cut him some slack. Yeah, it wasn't the the best start, not what you wanted to see, but you know, it, the potential's still got to be there. Yeah, I mean, it's like when what do you, you think? see uh, Tim Elko what he did this year, and last year I think he hit like two fifteen. You know, so, you know, that's how you got to temper your expectations when these guys come straight out of college and start playing, uh, you know, they go to Arizona, you know, they play a long season, go to, you know, playing in college world series games. And then, then they are, you know, then Jacob Gonzalez is playing for team USA and then he gets drafted and then he goes to Arizona and then he flies to Kannapolis and he's like, he's going all over the place, longest season of his entire life. And, uh, you know, people are surprised when he doesn't, you know, he's not out there, you know, jacking dingers every night, you know, they got to give the guy some time to breathe here and let him, let him assimilate a little bit to the life. I think. Yeah. No, yeah, no question. Um, I so, can't wait. I'm loving your last question. I'm curious what you think about this guy. Yeah, that's uh, you know I want to I want to finish this off on a on a you know this he's he is a curiosity you know and uh, yeah. and he's taken the uh, the internet by storm um, the tweet that I put out uh, of his first hit stolen base and run scored has 1.2 million views. A guy in Japan took the video and tweeted it on his account, and it's got over a million views in Japan. 
So this tweet's been seen by like two and a half million people uh, on Twitter. Um, Riku Nishida, uh, do you think that he is a novelty or do you think that he can come up in the system? Do you think he has, uh, do you, do you think his skill set is something that is, uh, good enough or worthy enough of, of the team to, uh, to move around? One of my biggest regrets this year in terms of covering minor league baseball is I never had the opportunity to ask his manager, Pat Leland, about Rikui's game and how it's going to translate as he moves up uh, to higher levels and ultimately, you know, could it ever be a major leaguer? You know, it's hard to see it. Um, The first couple of games that I saw him play, I mean, when I say slap hitter, literally, you know, it's like... It's not 50 miles an hour off the bat. He's just slapping at the ball and then trying to beat the ball to first base. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, you know. He's got great bat control. I saw, and he's he's just so much fun to watch. He had like two or three of these slap hits. Then I saw him trying and push a bunt instead of just trying to kill it between uh, the pitcher and third base. He tried to push it by the third base bag. And had he done it, it would he would have come into had an easy double. There's no way the third baseman was going to get it, but it just went foul. And then I saw him with no one on and two outs, and so he swings hard and hits a triple. I don't know what to. I, I don't think it translates to the big leagues, but again, it's just a month into his first year, so maybe they get rid of that the slap hitting or. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think there's anything there? It sure is entertaining. I love watching him. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm talking to him. He's fun to watch. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, like I said, it's like a curiosity. You know, it's a, it's, we've seen guys uh, with that, uh, you know, kind of sort of at least um, with that kind of uh, approach, uh, but mostly obviously in uh, Japanese ball. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, like you don't want to compare him to to Ichiro because, like, that's ridiculous yeah. expectations for for literally anybody. Um, you know, the thing is, he does little things that need to be done. I just don't know if there's an you know if there's enough. Uh, umph there to 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 get him to the point you know it's like the kind of thing that people worried about with madrigal you know whether you know his ball the 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 line drives that he's going to hit are they going to get over the infielders in major league baseball i don't know you know right i guess we just have to i mean obviously we just wait and see but uh you know it's it's certainly uh a, a fun problem to have you know, like I'm interested in watching it, but I mean, as far as having an answer, I, who knows, you know, I tell you, he would be a great weapon to have on your bench. Um, because he's the fastest guy probably in low A. You've got this great speed on the bench, or if, you know, you've got a runner on third and less than two outs and you just need somebody to make contact can send him up there and you know he can do it. But unfortunately, I suspect he's a luxury that no one can afford on their bench. Um, but regardless, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch these next couple of years. Yeah, I 
It, it will at least be fun. That's 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 one thing I can say about it. Uh, thank you so much for accepting my invite and coming and hanging out tonight. And, uh, you know, we just plowed through a ton of stuff. Thanks for sticking with me through it. Um, uh, your socials, where can people find your work? Uh, uh, triple A Jeff. Yeah, Triple A Jeff. Spell out triple and uh, cover the nights and occasionally a little bit of Kannapolis and Winston-Salem when things get rough here in Charlotte. But uh, I've had a blast. Thank you so much. And, again, thank you. thanks for all your help during the season. You know, you do a great job, and you, you really uh, help me a lot. Oh, t- t- no problem. Um, your, uh, your written work, do you, uh, you putting that up at, uh, up at Future Socks? Yeah, we uh, futuresocks.net. I think eventually it'll be, be futuresocks.com. It's futuresocks.net. Um, we got a lot of really good, a lot of knowledgeable people people at Future Socks. So it, it's really worth checking out the website and uh, reading some of the other guys. Uh, James Fox does a killer job on draft picks, and he's got some real insi- insight into what's going on with the White Sox. And like I said, Elijah Evans was all over Birmingham this year. Great reads, some great interviews. Yeah, and uh, for for listeners slash watchers, uh, if you guys aren't uh, Patreon for uh, Future Socks, you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, all of uh, Elijah's interviews, uh, slightly longer than the stuff that you see elsewhere, uh, is available to uh, the Patreon subscribers. So go check that out. Um, thanks so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. Um, my name is Ian Eskridge. Uh, at iAskridge on Twitter. Um, you can find all of our stuff at Daily White Sox on Twitter, uh, whitesoxdaily.substack.com for written content. Uh, you can search us on Facebook and YouTube to uh, find this stream. You can also find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thank you so much for coming and listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, for myself and my co-host for the evening, Mr. Jeff Cohen here, Uh Thank you so much. You guys have a great night, and we will see you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks.